Sound Design. I'm not getting rich. I'm not, you know, Facebook or Twitter gazillionaire by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm able to live in the city. So I guess the benefit of working for a union is that you're able, A, you're able to make a living, and that B, you have health care and you don't have to worry about your going bankrupt uh, if something catastrophic happens. Sound Design. Sound Design Live is produced independently by me, Nathan Lively, in Oakland, California. Welcome to Sound Design Live. Today my guest is a sound engineer for the San Francisco opera, Nat Korn. Nat, thanks for talking with me today. Glad to be here. So I want to talk to you about working with the ballet and opera, working for the union, and some of the cool gear that you have here in the opera house. But first of all, how do you get your first job in audio? I started in college. It was my freshman year, a few weeks into the school term, and there was a guy setting up a sound system for a band that was playing on campus. And I offered to help out because it looked really interesting. And he was really psyched to have some extra help to push gear around and, uh, and lay cables. And I saw him a few weeks later, and he kept coming back. He was a regular uh, local sound guy, okay. independent, with a, a van and a pile of sound equipment. Oh, where was this? This was in Poughkeepsie, New York, okay. at Vassar College. How far away from New York City is that? It's about an hour and a half, two hours up the Hudson River. Okay. So after a while of working for him for free, he uh, started to pay me, and uh, just kind of grew from there. I asked a lot of questions, and I started reading up about it in addition to my schoolwork. What were you uh, studying in college? I eventually ended up studying film. Prior to that, I had done theater in, in high school. I was a big theater tech nerd. Yeah, we were the cool nerds, but we were still into theater tech. So I'd, I'd done a lot of theater and performance. I kind of had it in my blood. And uh, there, there are a lot of musicians in my family as well. So after college, I kind of bummed around. I worked in ski areas and uh, bike shops and fun things. I never really got a real job, never really wanted to. But I uh, managed to make ends meet somehow. And it um, wasn't until a few years after college that I got a job at a nightclub uh, as the house sound engineer and uh, kind of bluffed my way into there. Uh, I worked there for a couple of years and I met a band that played there about once a month, and we got along really well. I liked their music, they liked me, and we hit the road together. Oh, really? And so I was seven years with them, turned into a nation. Oh, that's a long time. That was a long time. That wasn't touring for seven years. Yeah. You know what? It may not have been on the road for seven years, but I, I worked for them. A lot I think of I was shows. touring for about five years. Okay. What was the name of the band? Uh, Strange seven. Folk from okay. Burlington, Vermont. Cool. And I learned uh, a lot about life on the road and a lot about working with different sound systems and I, a lot about mixing and uh, thinking on the fly and thinking on your feet. Every day was a new system and a new situation and a new group of people and so that was in addition to being a lot of fun, uh, a lot of work and uh, a great education. What's the biggest lesson you think you took away from that experience, like something that you'll never forget? What are you doing now that will help the show? What are you doing now that will help strike the show at the end of the night? or at the end of the run. Uh, what, what are you doing? It, it, you know, the show's about to start. It's, it's a half hour away. It's 10 minutes away. It's five minutes away. 
the lights are down, the show is about to start. What are you, how are you always thinking about the show and the performance? I never have worked with the union. I know that's a big source of employment and some people's primary source of employment. So I wonder if you could talk about your experience about how you started working with the union. When you say the union, you're talking about the IATSE, the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, uh, which is in the United States and Canada. Mm -hmm. And they represent uh, film and live entertainment technicians and employees of all different kinds, from stagehands to box office agents, ticket sellers, um, sound engineers, sound engineers, sound designers, film editors, film camera operators, all kinds of film and live entertainment employees. Here in the Bay Area, uh, we, our local number is Local 16, and we are uh, focused on stage and film. I got my start in Burlington, Vermont, in Local 919, which is a stage local. I had a friend in there. He said, uh, I think you might be interested in this. And so I started working as a casual, getting calls every now and then. Okay, so he got your name in the door. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It helps to know somebody. It's not a requirement, but it, it certainly helps, as in any, in any employment, really. So I became a member uh, of the IATSE in Vermont, and then when I moved here... Uh, I started working for the for local 16 here uh, as an as an extra casual laborer, uh, meaning I would get calls to go work on a, a day show or you know a week a week long show here and there. I kept showing up, I kept answering those calls, and eventually that turned into what's known as an apprenticeship. And even though I knew a lot about sound already, and I considered myself a a journeyman sound engineer, I was still considered a, an apprentice in the eyes of the union. You're still learning about how the union operates and how to be a union member. Mm -hmm. And that took three years, uh, and now I'm a full member of Local 16 here in San Francisco. You know, during that time, I, I would take a f some non-union work, although I tried to focus on union because it, A, paid better, and B, they were, if I did enough work, they would offer me health insurance mm -hmm. to be on their health plan, which is extremely important. And I also liked the... the working under a, uh, a union contract which specifies working conditions, hours, wages, meal times, meal breaks. Would you uh, mind just going over the basics of those? Because uh, I think a lot of people know what they are, but it would be nice just to hear them again. It usually specifies as wages for the various different departments and positions. Uh, it will also specify hours. Uh, if you go longer than eight hours, you guaranteed overtime, which is also state law here in California. Um, so it's the, time and a half after eight hours, right? That's correct. Okay. Uh, um, I, I'm not familiar with state law, so I really don't want to comment too much on it, but after 40 hours in a, a week, you usually get overtime. Mm -hmm. um, in addition, if you work more than six or seven days a week, depending on which contract you're working under, you're, you work on overtime. Um, I'm sorry, six or seven days straight. So if you okay. keep working, say if you, if you work on a show for you 10 days straight, day if you don't have a day off, yeah. exactly. This really is designed to 
compensate people for working extremely hard, getting tired, that we just talked about, <laughs> um, and really you know, making it worth our while and compensating us for... Yeah, making yeah. it worth your while to uh -huh. stay those extra hours when you're already tired and keep going. Exactly. exactly. Sometimes it's worth it to the employer to have the same person stay on for a couple more hours and get paid more than to bring in a whole extra crew. Absolutely. Absolutely. If, even if it's for 10 days, the person has been there the entire show, uh, they know the deal, they know the people, uh, they know the gear. Uh, you can't, if it, it would be penny wise and pound foolish to bring somebody else in just to run the show if they're not familiar with it. Generally, you, if you don't get a meal break uh, every five hours, then they have to either pay what's called a meal penalty, which is an extra hour, um, or they have to break you for half an hour and feed you a meal. Uh, sometimes that's pizza or cold sandwiches, sometimes it's a catered meal. Uh, it really depends. We try, we try not to let employers get away with cold pizza <laughs> and water, although it happens. Um, so the five-hour the five hour work until a meal break, that's uh, pretty standard. And frequently that's, you know, if you go into what's called meal penalty, you know, that's kind of compensating you for working without food. Mm -hmm. And it's really in the employer's interest not to let you go hungry because the work <laughs> suffers. And it simply costs more under a union contract. We also uh, have what are called show calls, which is a slightly higher rate when you're working on a show, which starts a half hour before the curtain rises, before the show starts. For a really long show, it actually is kind of a wash. For a shorter show, you're making a slightly better rate. And uh, there are also specif specifications for working more than 13 hours, you know, hours worked, not including meal breaks, yeah, of course. Yeah, over, over. You know, really, this is incentives for the employer not to work people to death uh, and not to really you know, run the employees into the ground <laughs> so that they're so tired they can't do their jobs. Well, I'm still in the, in the union. You're still I'm, in the union. Mm -hmm. yeah. I still work uh, for the San Francisco Opera and San Francisco Ballet under the IATSE contract. L allows me to live in San Francisco and to have, you know, to support a family here in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. I'm not getting rich. I'm not, you know, a Facebook or Twitter gazillionaire <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm able to live in the city. So I guess the benefit of working for a union is that you're able, A, you're able to make a living, and then B, you have health care and you don't have to worry about your going bankrupt uh, if something catastrophic happens. And Are there any drawbacks to being in a union? I mean, is there any reason for people not to do it? They come to a new town, they're looking for work, um, or they're making a shift in their job. Is there any reason why they wouldn't also join the union while they're looking for work in other places? Well, it really depends on what kind of work you want to do. Uh, I had come from being both uh, a, a union member in, in Vermont, Burlington, Vermont, and having gone on the road. So I was doing both union and non-union work. So I already knew, I already had a fair amount of experience mixing, working with sound systems. Um, I wouldn't have gotten that experience had I just stuck with the union. Mm -hmm. uh, there's not that, if, if you're interested in mixing... But it doesn't stop you from doing those jobs, right? It doesn't, it doesn't hold you stop back. you, no, okay. no. It doesn't stop you at all. Common courtesy is just to let the union know what you're doing. Oh, if okay. you're taking non-union work, and not to take work where there might be a conflict of interest with the union. Thank you.
I think there are a lot of people out there who are curious about your job. So walk us through a day in the life of an opera house technician. What time do you come in? What are your responsibilities? What are your favorite parts? And what is the most painful? Well, let me start when we start. Okay. <laughs> let me start by saying our, the beginning of our day is usually 8 a.m. And almost every day. Wow. It's, it's lucky if we get to come in later. Uh, and I'm talking about specifically working for the San Francisco Opera. In opera, unlike other forms of performance, uh, opera singers need a few days rest between performances so their throats can rest and they can sing at such intensity again. Okay. Given that requirement, we usually change over an opera in rotating rep almost every day. Oh, wow, so there's a set change, there's... and musicians change, and you have to change out all the mics, maybe. No, not all the mics. Uh, yeah. Usually yeah. we follow scenery. C scenery and lighting and props are really the biggest drivers of our schedule. So that's why we're in at 8 a.m. And we usually work till 5, have a meal break, come back and do either a rehearsal or a performance at night. So I could be here 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. Wow. I frequently am. Wow. And that's uh, during the opera season. For seven months out of the year, that's pretty much what I do. That's a commitment. It's a huge commitment. And is that because but, they want the same people who set up in the morning to be the ones who operated at night? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. You have to know what's going on with the show. So the, the hours are extremely long. And having said that, that's, I'll answer the last question, which is that's pretty much the most painful part of... The long hours. Is the long hours, mm. right. You know, getting five hours of sleep for months on end uh, and still being able to do your job and perform at a pretty high level uh, on the job. The San Francisco Opera and the San Francisco Ballet are both world-class companies, and the uh, caliber of artistry that happens on stage and even behind the scenes is really extraordinary. Mm -hmm. And so I, I feel extremely fortunate to be part of two highly regarded companies. So describe a day. Well, we started a I work in a control room above the stage. There's a lot of care and feeding of the equipment there. There's a lot of patching. There's a database that I, that I keep track of all the patches with and usually follow the action. So if they're changing around the scenery or the lighting or uh, anything else, uh, we usually come in behind them and we have to maybe wait for a, a set piece to set before we can set a, a monitor speaker or a microphone backstage or a intercom or a camera for somebody to see something spe specific. You know, a fair amount of it is hurry up and wait. Uh, but we're always, also always thinking about the next production to come down the line. Uh, as soon as one production is mounted there, the very next day we are rehearsing the next production. Or we might be performing three operas a, a, and rehearsing another one or two at the same time. Wow. So there's a lot of balls in the air to keep track of. And, you know, there's a lot of maintenance as well. Things break, cables break. We do have, we are fortunate enough that we have a, a repertory system of a sound, whole sound design repertory system, a whole fold back repertory system for backstage. I'm in a room above the stage. Uh, there's no mixing involved, really, for front of house, uh, like I used to do. And what's, what happens? Uh, when he says above the stage, he means like above and behind the stage. So he, there's no window or anything. He can't see or hear anything going on in the audience. Um, he gave, uh, Nat gave me a tour the, the first time I was here. And there's a camera in the audience, and he watches that 
uh, on a screen in the control room. Yes, I have a high-def camera on the balcony rail. I have a big, giant, flat-screen TV in front of me, monitor, uh, and I can watch in, in great detail, I could say. I, I watch the, what's happening on stage. I also have a number of uh, standard-def cameras, backstage cameras, that give me various views of what's happening uh, above, below, behind, <laughs> under the stage. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there are microphones all over the, the, the theater that help me listen to various aspects of what's happening to the music, to the singing. Um, so I don't really, we don't reinforce any of the music in the opera. Maybe once in a great while an opera will come along where we put a mic, we mic up all the, the singers like musical theater, or like broad, they do on Broadway, but that's maybe once every four or five years. So given that there's no actual reinforcement what do I do? Why do I have a big mixing port and a whole control room? Yeah, you got a lot of nice gear in there. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty fortunate. Um, well, we have a mix for foldback on stage. Uh, that's a single mono mix that's then distributed to maybe 15 or 16 destinations. Uh, we have speakers all over the, the backstage and uh, maybe a dozen specials that we can use it for a specific production because obviously the artists and singers on stage, the chorus, they need to hear the orchestra. Mm -hmm. And in this day and age of uh, electronic enforcement, that's what they get to hear. <laughs> Although the you know, 300 years history of opera, for most of that period, there was no reinforcement on stage. Sure. Electronic reinforcement now is kind of a requirement because the staging is a lot more elaborate than it, it was, say, prior to 50 years ago. So you see you're not doing any reinforcement for the audience, but I've been out there and I see that there is an array of Meyer Sound CQ1s or something like that. So what are those for? Okay, so we do have uh, uh, an array of, of CQs that's up for ballet season. When the opera comes in, we uh, recently took possession of a uh, the Cal 96 array, columnar, columnar array. Oh, cool. Which is very cool. What that does, we amplify announcements, backstage announcements, uh, you know, the, the pre-show announcement on, that I roll on CD, you know, please turn off your cell phones, take note of the nearest exit doors. That's pretty much what we use it for. Wow. <laughs> I know, it sounds like a lot of, a lot of firepower for just oh a, a little God, bit of that's that. that's so funny. And we also, I mean, it's not just... They're nice speakers for announcements, but they're yeah. also like painted to match the hall, you know? They're yes. expertly installed. Yes, and they really <laughs> blend in with the proscenium. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, okay. sure. It's, it's great. Um, we also use it for some sound design. Uh, I haven't talked about sound design. We do a fair amount of sound design for the opera oh. uh, relative to other opera companies. Okay. Uh, relative to theater, maybe not so much, but... Um, we provide things like thunder and war sounds. Yeah. I guess things that are called for in the script or sometimes the director asks for something specific? Uh, could be either. And you guys have um, a collection of those that you can source from or do you actually fully? We hardly ever fully. We okay. do have a collection. Uh, we use various uh, online um, databases. sources, databases. Okay. Uh, Years ago, we had a production here of uh, La Fille du Regiment. Anyway, at the end of the show, there's a, somehow there's a picture of a giant rooster that drops in upstage. It's mm -hmm. like this 20 foot tall painting of a rooster. So we had to make this giant rooster sound. Whoa. So <laughs> we got the director volunteered to actually make rooster sounds with his voice. Nice. And we kind of manipulated it and made a giant rooster sound. That worked out pretty well. Cool. 
We have about 40 sound design speakers all over the theater. So we're most proud of our thunder effect, which can start as a rumble off in the distance and then get closer and closer and, and pass overhead and then recede into the distance behind you. Nice. It's extremely realistic. So that, that's a fair amount of what we do here. That's what I think of it, Aiden. I mean, keep up the good work, man. You got my support, that's for sure. <laughs> so, Randy, if tomorrow I flipped a switch and all of a sudden Sound Design Live cost $5 per episode, do you think you would still keep listening to it? Or do you think you'd start listening to something else that was free? Well, no. I mean, you, you've got it to the point now where everything you've said has made sense to me, right? And if, if it costs $5 per episode to listen to, I mean, if I'm already learning from you or, you know, uh, taking in, in mind of what you're saying, then why wouldn't I, you know, what's five bucks, right? Really, seriously. Well, the good news is that you don't have to choose. The Sound Design Live is free and will continue to be free. Mm-hmm. And if you want to support it with $5 per episode, you could do that at patreon.com slash sounddesignlive. And that'll just help me continue to improve the show and to amplify its impact for you. So do you know about Patreon? Is that something you're familiar with? No, I've never heard of that. So it's a way for creators like me to connect with their community and provides a flexible way for people like you to support the podcast. There's a limit set though. So you can say, you know what? If Nathan publishes 100 episodes this month, I don't want to pay $100. I just want to pay a maximum of $10, so yeah. you don't have to worry about getting overcharged accidentally. And somebody that wants to do something like what you're doing and you're educating people and you're helping people, I stand behind that 100% all the way. What are you, what's your responsibility during the show? Are you just sort of monitoring to make sure nothing goes wrong or do you actually do you have a cue list that you're following somehow? Both. I have a cue list and I'm monitoring constantly. There are many different elements to, to keep track of. There's, uh, there are 12 channels of intercom, uh, there are multiple uh, cameras backstage, a few high-definition cameras. Um, I might have a sound design cues. It might be very busy with sound design. I have to route the various sound design elements everywhere. Um, there might be specific foldback changes. Um, actually, there usually are specific foldback changes. Um, it, it can be busy, extremely busy, where I don't really get a breath for an hour. Or it can be relatively calm and I can sit back and enjoy some of the music. Uh, in addition, we do nightly archive recordings. Uh, is there like one or two pieces of gear that you think are really unique to the Opera House that you think people might be surprised about or might be interested to know about? Well, that's very interesting. Uh, we actually buy all our gear off the shelf and put it to uses that are slightly different than maybe they were intended for or maybe that there is the common usage for those gear pieces of gear. We are recording to Pyramix. Okay. It's made by a company called Merging Technologies based in Switzerland mm-hmm. and they a couple years ago came out with an ethernet based transport audio transport system called the Horus. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> And it uh, uses the Ravenna protocol of audio over Ethernet, which is a mostly European consortium, similar to Dante or AVB okay. uh, or CobraNet, but has its own. The merging protocol. owns that no, protocol, or it's it's it, it's. Um, they're a member of a consortium with okay. a couple dozen manufacturers, mostly out of Europe. So it allows us to put the mic preamps close 
to the microphones in the orchestra pit. I wanted to ask, uh, do you ever travel with the opera? Are there events outside of the venue that you are responsible for? Yes, yes, we do. We don't go on tour, but once a year we uh, play at Stern Grove, and we also play, uh, have opera in the park, in Golden Gate Park, which is also an outdoor. We set up a portable stage and, and set up a, a very large sound system, uh, and I get to set that up and mix it. Uh, cool. That's very exciting. Uh, we also do simulcasts from the opera house. Um, we have a whole camera set up, rem remotely operated cameras all over. We have 12 cameras here in the Opera House, and that usually goes down to AT&T Park, which is the baseball stadium here in San Francisco, mm -hmm. home of the San Francisco Giants. And I get to set up and run that sound system. So are people going to AT&T Park to watch an opera, or is that like halftime in the middle of a game? No, we, uh, we take over the stadium for two days. Okay, people one. are just coming there to They're watch the simulcast of the opera. Just watch the simulcast. Oh, and cool. we, you know, we've had upwards of 30,000 people wow. at the stadium. Uh, and it's as quiet as a pin. You can hear a pin drop, and they're all listening to the opera. It's pretty amazing. Uh, I'm also a baseball fan. I love the Giants, and uh, you know it gets pretty loud during baseball. So, to to listen to some beautiful music with a you know a dead silent audience of thirty thousand of your closest friends is it's a pretty amazing experience. Um, so, if you want to know more about the SF Opera House, just go to sfopera.com. Nat Corn, thanks so much for being on Sound Design Live. Pleasure. Sound Design. Yeah. Thanks to the Nagawal Orchestra from Stockholm for music in today's episode. You can find more about them at facebook.com slash the Nagawal Orchestra and Nagawal is spelled N-A-G-U-A-L.